name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Blessed Holy Week, everybody. So many of us, when we start this week, there's a sense of excitement. It's Everybody looks forward to this week. It's one of those weeks that we mark on our calendar, we kind of have an idea of, like, there's this sense of like, there's something big happening. We look forward to it, we like the tunes, we like the hymns, we just like the, the fact that we're here in the church together. But I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, as we were coming up and leading up to Holy Week. What makes this week, like why do we really like it? Because I think sometimes we like it for the wrong reasons. It's kind of like there's this excitement that comes with this week that we kind of look at this and watch as if we're watching a movie. Like, oh, this is, wait, what? This is the good part. Like, wait till you see this, like the palms and the this and the oil and the water. And, and we were, there's these scenes that we're excited for. But this week is truly about two types of people people who are in need of a savior who know that they need a savior, and people who don't. And for those people who don't, they will come and enjoy this week and everything will be great, and, and everything from Hosanna to, to Good Friday and Brighta, everything is going to be great, and you will eat the lachma, and every, everybody's going to be excited, and everything is going to be great. But then there's really no change. There's nothing transformative. But this week is a transformative week. And it's up to us to experience that. It's not the week's fault. The readings are here. The hymns are here. But it's up to us in how we engage with this week for it to make a difference in our life. You kind of see a lot of parallels the whole week. right? We see the woman at Simon's house with the alabaster flask. We see Judas, we see the Pharisees, and we see Simon the Cyrene carrying the cross, who just kind of came at the 11th hour and basically just, you know, carried Christ's cross with him. Basically putting into an image what Christ has been talking about this whole time, about carrying your cross and following me. Or even at the last moment in Good Friday when we see the two thieves, and how we even say in a hymn that one stole heaven, stole paradise. So there's a lot of parallels. But it starts with, a res- with our calling to God and a response. Two days ago, which feels like a month ago, was Palm Sunday. And we were screaming and we probably said Hosanna maybe 10,000 times that day. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. We said it in every language. We said it a million times. We said it long. We said it short. We were calling to God to save us. Not in this like, Hosanna, in that. No, like really like palms, everything. Screaming for him to save us. And Christ says, okay, I'll save you. First thing to do, you have to die. So, Right after you, we said, save us, save us for, for 10 hours. After that, we had the funeral. They 
basically saying, Christ is telling us, we need to die. You want us? To, you want to be saved? Come to your funeral. Not this old, weird tradition of this weird water insurance thing that if you die and you need the water because no, like we we need to remove that because that's not what it is. I was talking to somebody the other day. If we do the funeral in the middle of the night, like if we do it at like two o'clock in the morning, the church will be packed. Because culturally, we think this is the most important thing in the world. And it's, it's important, but for different reasons. It's important because we just screamed out, save us, save us, save us, and God said, okay, come and die. Die with me so you can rise with me. If you want to really enjoy this week, we, you have to start with a funeral. Not just any funeral, your own personal funeral. And so, this is Christ's response. We've been crying out, save us. But, but the question is, are you truly asking him to save you? Or are you just kind of, again, watching the movie, going with the flow? Everybody else is doing it, I'm just going to go. What do we really mean by this? The church prepares us for Holy Week. It prepares us by giving us the last Friday of Lent, which again, was weird this year. We did it Thursday. and But we... But during that service, we receive the holy unction. The church is telling us, mind you, this unction of the sick can be done at any time. There's, it's not a Lent thing. It's not a Holy Week thing. It could be done on Easter if you want. It could be done on Christmas. It could be done any day, anywhere, people's houses, in church, anywhere. But the church says the only time it's done in the church is right before we enter Holy Week. Why? Because we have to acknowledge that we're sick. And not a physical sickness. Right? I don't know many of us, the church was packed out of control on a random Thursday. Why? Because we're spiritually sick. We need to think about this this week as a transformation that we come in begging, come in sick, come in asking the true physician to heal us and to save us, but truly go through the actions from our end, this synergy, right? So, okay, so we just ask Christ to save us. He says, okay, go die. Okay, Christ, we, we did what you said. We, we went through the funeral. We experienced our funeral. We're done. The church is covered in black. We're ready to go. I said, okay, we're not done yet. I'm coming into your heart and I'm cleaning it. This is scary. If it's not scary, that's a problem. If it's not scary, if it didn't make you feel uncomfortable that Christ went into the, to- into the temple and started like tossing tables and whips and chairs and, and yelling at people and all, all this. If it didn't make you uncomfortable, there's a problem with us. It's, it, it, it's our problem if it doesn't make us uncomfortable. There are three issues that I'm going to focus on, not because I want to, but because Christ has made it very clear that these are the highlights, these are what he's going after this week. It's very clear. And we're not even like halfway done with the week. 
But it's very clear that this is what the doctor is saying he needs to take care of. The first thing is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. We hear about hypocrisy from a very young age. And I tend to not like the word hypocrisy. Because it becomes, we've, we've spiritualized it. And we see it in the Bible. We, we just read it today. Where Christ says, woe to you, hypocrites. We read it this morning, we read it yesterday. Like, woe to you, hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. And it's like, oh yeah, that's just something. He's not talking about me. He's talking about those guys, the, the people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And that's why I have a problem with it. Because we've separated ourselves from this idea. But hypocrisy, in its simplest form, is that we live differently than what we look like, than what we're showing to people. In our heart, it looks different than what we are actually doing. And I think that this hypocrisy hits us the hardest if we're honest with ourselves. And specifically being very honest with ourselves allows us to kind of really see if we're, if we're being hypocritical or not. We look different. We act different than who we truly, deeply are inside. It's a sense of disguise. It's like putting on a mask. You kind of, you know, you think back to Halloween. All the kids are walking around. Everybody's wearing a mask. These kids are superheroes and princesses and, and this and that. And they live the role. They're acting like it. Like, my daughter gets into Elsa mode and that's it. Like, she's frozen through and through, singing the song, like screaming them. But like, this is her life. If you say anything to her, she says, no, I'm Elsa. You can't sing along. She's living it. It's her life. But is that truly who she is? No. Don't tell her I said that, but it's not who she is. And that's what the disguise is. We put on a uniform. In some cases, literally. The priests put on the black. We put on all this gear all the time. The deacons put on the white. The women come in with their sharps. Like, we, we know what we're doing. We know the roles. We know each, we know we're experts. But honestly, think about the people that Christ was talking to. They were the most expert. These guys knew there was, there's over 600 laws of Moses. Over 600. And if you test them, you test the Pharisees, they'll ace any exam you give them. Tell them what to do if there's an unclean person here. They'll be like, well, first you have to kick him out of the temple and then you kick him out of the city and then uh, you might as well get somebody to kill him. Like, that's it. Like you, there's, there's, there's steps. They know all the laws. They know what to eat, when to eat it, how to eat it. So they knew what they were doing. But that's us too. We know, we know, we know all the responses. We know what to say. We know how to say it. We know how to act in front of certain people. We even learned how to confess without 
opening the door in our hearts. We, we've learned how to live on that surface, and that's what hypocrisy is. And the problem is, we don't know it. Sunday night, we read, a, we read one of the Gospels that's, that Christ asked the disciples, He says, who do the people say that I am? And then He said, you, disciples, people that I've been with for three years, who do you say that I am? That question is not only for us to respond to that, like, oh yeah, Christ, who is Christ? And Peter said it, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. That's not the, the, the only part of that answer. If He is Christ, who am I? Because the more we get to know who God is, the more we become like God, the more we realize our own issues. So where is the problem with hypocrisy? Where does it stem from? Where is the, where's the, the root? Because sometimes we deal with the symptoms, right? You go to the doctor, and, or you're at home, and you're sick. You're coughing, you're sneezing, you're this, you're that. And the first thing we think of is, how do I get rid of these symptoms? But going to a true doctor, the doctor, the symptoms are secondary. Like, okay, I can, you can take some cough drops and get rid of the cough, but there's another issue inside of you that we have to, we have to fix. And that's what we do. We, we, when we feel hypocritical, we say, oh, you know what, let me just, let me just, you know, do whatever the action, I'll do more of those actions, get rid of those symptoms. That guilt feeling, ah, I need to get rid of it. But sometimes that guilt or that shame is a trigger for us to really go get some true help. So Christ looks and he finds the problem is in the heart. It's in the heart. If we're truly honest with ourselves, the, when we are disguised or when we are hypocritical and we're, when we are not being honest with God first and foremost, it's because there's a problem in the heart. There's a problem in the heart. There's a problem that we need the physician to go into our heart just like he went into the temple and clean it out. We have to open up the doors. We have to. Sometimes when I go to a house blessing and go visit somebody and I pray in the water and once once we're done I see everybody just kind of run in every direction like trying to like move everything clean up everything and all this stuff and I'm like just, just leave it it's fine they're like no 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 Abun. and they'll be like alright can you just throw water in this room but nah, leave this room it's really messy I'm like okay whatever I don't, I don't care but the water's there I'm leaving it but the idea it's like what are we willing to just close the door or are we willing to open it so we can cleanse it? Right? That's, that's what we need to ask ourselves. Truly, one way to figure out if you're really living a hypocritical life is, is analyzing your heart, being honest with yourself, with God, with your Father confession. But then also, like, Seeing if your faith matches your actions. If, if I pass around an exam here right now about all the stuff that's happening in the Bible, everybody will do great. You're here on a Tuesday night. You're praying. Everybody's going to score great. 
But it's not about just knowing the stuff, it's about living it. Secondly, second issue that Christ is trying to really get at is our own brokenness. Now, this is different than hypocrisy. We are all broken. We are all broken. Christ said it. Christ said, I'm not here to be with those who don't know that they're broken. I came for the sinners to repent. You're good? The Pharisees were like, we don't need you. We're good. He's like, okay. I'm not here for you. I'm here to eat with the sinners. We have to admit that we're sinners and that we are all broken. Acknowledging our brokenness allows us to be healed. We can't, we can't be healed without it. You don't, if I don't feel sick, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I don't just go to the hospital for fun. When I'm feeling it, when I'm really, when I know, that's when I seek help. I'm going to say something. If you don't know you're broken or you don't feel it, you need to ask God to, ha- to help you see it or to break you. If you don't know you're broken, ask God to break you. Because truly, the issue becomes is that we are all broken. If I don't know, if I don't know that I am, I can't be restored. Then this week means nothing. Because we're all saying it in the hymns. Are, I want to, thine is the power, the glory, the majesty. I want to die with you and rise with you. I want to experience good fire. I want to be on the cross and then come rise with you and celebrate the resurrection. Be a new person. Why be a new person if you're fine? Only You can only be a new person if you die. If you are willing to empty yourself like Christ emptied himself on the cross, emptied himself, emptied all the sins, emptied everything, just was very, very vulnerable in every way. We see it physically, but I mean, that's what we need. And here's the issue. Christ says it, and we say it every single day, Psalm 50, Psalm King David, Psalm of Repentance. There's a line in there. He says, a broken and humbled heart, God will not despise. A broken and humbled heart, God will not despise. Now, let's switch up the words a little bit. That also means an unbroken and proud heart. I'm not going to finish that. And that's where we sometimes struggle. We feel like the world teaches us, never show your weakness. Never, never. Are you joking? Never show that there's anything wrong with you. You're, you're in charge. You're this, you're that. This, these affirmations that we get from the world show that you're strong. But we see what St. Paul says. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is what Christ told him. That my grace is sufficient for you. You're broken. St. Paul had a serious problem. Serious enough that he was begging God. St. Paul. 
please God, fix this problem. Please, please God. I, he said he pleaded with God. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now look at St. Paul's response. He says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my iniquities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The church is teaching us, no, it's good to feel that you're broken. It's good to feel that you're sick. It's good. Because guess what? If you feel that way, you're going to be standing right here. You'll be here early in church, every service you can, because His grace is sufficient. So yes, we're broken, but His grace is sufficient. The problem with brokenness, though, is sometimes we feel broken and we try to fix it ourselves. And this is an issue. Because we are not good at fixing things. It might grow to be worse. I'll tell you a story. This happened to me. Back in, I was in 8th grade, ninth grade, Something like that. And I was playing outside in front of my cousin's house. And it was a group of kids from the neighborhood, and we're all playing. We're playing football. And I caught the ball, and we're playing in the street. I caught the ball, and I tripped in the end zone. It was a touchdown. And I fell. And when you fall, you put your hand like that to break the fall. And I broke my wrist. And so I go to my cousin's house. My parents were there. And I'm like, I think I broke my wrist. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, we'll I'm like, I need, I need to check if it's broken. They're like, no, no, no. We're drinking shea right now. Like, don't ruin the ada. I'm like, just, okay, fine. So I wait a little bit. Like, it's hurting. And on the way home, we go to the doctor. They do x-rays. They found out it's broken. They put a cast on. And this injury, usually six weeks and you're fine. But after three weeks, they check you. They, you come in, they take off the cast, they wash, uh, they wash it, and then they uh, do, run some x-rays, and then they recast you. So three weeks go by. I'm super excited. I'm going. It's itchy. Just want to get rid of it. Whatever. I go. They do the x-rays. And then the doctor comes, uh, just, he's like talking to me, and then he's like, oh, give me one second, takes my dad outside the room, and talks to him for a little bit, and comes back. I'm like, uh, like, what are we talking about? Like, what color the cast, like, what are we doing here? And my dad sits next to me, like, there was, like, he was standing there the whole time, but he's now sitting next to me. And this doctor... He's like asking me all these random questions. Oh, so what sports do you like? How's school? All, all this nonsense. And as he's doing this, he's like massaging my hand. I'm like, and I'm like, like we need to go. And so he, as he's talking to me, he's holding my hand, holding my hand. And then all of a sudden, right over his knee, he cracks my hand. He re-breaks my hand. I screamed. My dad screamed because I was holding his hand. And I, I was in so much pain. 
And the doctor's trying to explain to me. I'm like, don't, don't even look at me. Like, don't even, like, what are you talking about? Like, after I calmed down, he put the cast on. And he's like, I'll see you again in three weeks. I'm like, I never want to see you again. Three weeks later, I come back. And I'm like, can somebody explain to me what happened? Like, I'm, I'm over it. What happened now? He's like, it was growing wrong. The way that the cast was placed the first time wasn't correct. Something got loose, and it started growing wrong. And you would have had an issue your whole life because you can't fix it later. It's going to get harder. The, the bones get stronger, and it's going to get harder. So the only solution was that. And if I told you I was going to do that, you would have objected. You would have said, absolutely not. So I had, to, I had to do it. And that's what Christ sometimes does with us. He doesn't give us a choice and like a menu of what type of brokenness we have in our life. But He does heal us. He doesn't give us the option on how to heal us, but He will. But we, but we have to understand that He is the true physician. Father John Baer, he's a Christian theologian, he, he says something really beautiful. He says, The goal of the Christian life is not to acquire more and more virtue. The goal of the Christian life is to strive after virtue. But in striving after virtue, what you in fact find is more and more of your brokenness. So in striving after virtue, you realize that you're broken and ever more broken to the depth of your being. Because only that way can you allow the light to shine into the depth of your being so the height of which you become to which you come to know God is matched by the depth in which you come to know your own brokenness. Brokenness is not shame. Our sins, our struggles, our pains, our hurt, our problems at work, our problems at school, our problems in our families, our problems in our relationships, our, our problems everywhere is not something to be ashamed of. It's shameful if we don't go to the true physician. It's shameful if we're trying to fix it ourselves. Our Lord, when He was speaking about the heart, says, Blessed are the pure in heart, or they shall see God. We need to purify our heart and God Himself is the only one who can purify it. And that's why when He purifies our heart, then we can see Him. He's the one doing the construction inside. He's the one doing the cleansing. Lastly, if you've noticed the readings from today, this morning, tonight, there's a sense of urgency. Christ is telling us, don't wait. You have certain sins in your life? Don't wait. This is the week. You're, if we can't be willing to repent and to work on our sins this week, while this is the only image you're looking at all week, Christ on the cross, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. We've been fasting for 55 days, 53 days, whatever it is. We've been fasting, praying, 
a million liturgies, Igbeya all day, no, not eating, and when we eat, it's whatever. All of this for 55 days, and we finally, this is the climax, like this is the week, this is the, trend, this is the week of transformation. If there are sins in our life that we're not willing to change, to transform from, for giving the door, to open the door to Christ to come in and clean it, it's not going to happen. Next week, when we're stuffing our faces with anything we can see, it's not going to happen then. That's why church attendance is at an all-time low. Everybody, like everyone. Like, I've gotten like 30 calls to go cover different, even the priests are gone. Everybody's gone. Everybody, everybody, that's it. This is the climax. This is it. If we're not going to do it now, if we don't have a sense of urgency, as we're looking at Christ, our Savior, our position on the cross, hands wide open saying, just come. What's the problem? Tell me. Where's your brokenness? Where's, your, where's the problem? Let me fix it. If we don't do it now, it's not going to happen. Because guess what? All the readings today, it's like, you're not going to know when it's going to come. When the time is like, when, when the buzzer rings. We have this mentality like, no, 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 like, later. I had a friend back in, in, in college used to say like, I, I will fix myself. I, will. I know what's right. But I'm not going to do it now. Now is the time for fun. Later is time with God. When's later? I'll tell you something very honestly. I knew that concept my whole life, like this idea of like, we don't know when the Son of Man is coming and when the end of the day. Like, I, I've always known that concept. But as a priest here, maybe some of you know, I feel like every few months, we hear about somebody who just recently, like a young person that passes away. And I feel like it's been like a message for me more and more because for some reason it's always in the area where I live and where, where I go to church. And it's just like, it's constant sadness. But it won't be sadness if we're always prepared. If we take this time serious, then it's an excitement. It's this like, okay, take me whenever. I'm ready. But when, we're, when we feel scared of death, that's when you know, wait a second. You don't know where, actually, where you're actually going. So of course it's scary. So as we continue this week, as we go through these next examples, as we see this woman who sells everything and pours her, like, everything on Christ. Forget the oil. She pours herself on Christ. And as we see all these people, the good stories, and we see the bad stories, think about how we can be cleansed by God. 
how we can be transformed and how we could fix our hypocrisy, our sins, our brokenness and do it in this time of urgency and that we truly can celebrate the crucifixion, like truly celebrate the crucifixion. And I say celebrate because it's a life-giving crucifixion and the resurrection so that we all can become new creations and glory be to God.